0: Welcome everybody to episode 3 of the Off The Bar Podcast. My name is Jeremy McGrady and alongside me is Ronan Cordell. And today we are joined by a man who has managed several national teams. He's been around the world. Please give a warm welcome to Tom St. Fed, everybody.
1: Hello, Tom. Hello, how are you, Ronan? We're, we're all good. We're all good. Um, well, I suppose we have to start somewhere. So uh, we'll, we'll go back to the very start of it. Uh, we couldn't find much information on it, to be honest with you, Tom. But like, tell us about your play, playing career and what happened there.
2: Um, yeah, in Belgium, you, you start on a young age playing. In my time, it was around eight, nine years old that you started to join a club. Um, and four years later, I moved already to a bigger club. And uh, step by step, I went to a higher level, came in professional youth set up. Um, but I knew I could not really make a brilliant career as a football player. So uh, I had to combine it with a study. I played in the second and the third highest league in Belgium um, and and did a study uh, in the meantime uh, for psychology, sport and business psychology. So I made a combination. Especially I chose also the the study to become later a a football coach. Uh, But from the start of my career, I had always a lot of injuries. I was 16 years old when I had my first cruciate ligament uh, injury. And um, on the end of my football career, I had six times cruciate ligament uh, injury and three times the ankle uh, ligament. So uh, I was more injured, I was more out than I was on the pitch. And on the age of 23, I decided uh, to stop as a player and uh, to focus on a new career, a coaching career.
0: And so basically the... Injuries made you transition into a coach, and having those skill set, what do you think? Once you made that transition to coaching, what made you want to become a coach?
2: Yeah, uh, it was not really because of the injuries that uh, that I wanted to become a coach. Um, it was uh, more that it became faster than than planned. I have to say, when I was in my secondary school, we had to write a description, a thesis. Uh, and I was in an in, in co- economical direction, but my thesis was about football and training when I was 17 and 18 years old. So, uh, and even my study sport psychology was only chosen to become later a coach. So I was always convinced that I want to become a coach, only because of the the bad luck as a player. I played in Belgium. I played also short in Faroe Islands, but I couldn't reach really what I wanted to the top. That I decided on 23. I don't gonna play anymore. I started as a coach. At 23, I started my coaching degrees. And on 24, I became the youngest head coach in Belgium. So I always had the ambition to coach. I had always uh, the philosophy, even as a, as a teenager. Um, only the timing was earlier because of, of the bad luck as a player.
1: It must have been very, very hard for you, to just when you said there, 23, 24 years of age, to get a job as a head coach. How did that come about?
2: Yeah, that was, that was crazy. So, at 23, I was the youngest student in the Belgian coach uh, school. Um, and, and there were some other uh, uh, people in the classes, uh, And they were with a club. They were youth coaches in the club. And they told me, they knew my ambition. They said, hey, for next season, our team is looking for a first team coach. Because I, I'm not really the type to work as a youth coach, also not as an assistant coach. So, to be uh, a first team head coach, uh, the senior team manager on the age of 24, when you have players of 30-35 age uh, in the team, it's, it's unusual and for sure in Belgium. Uh, these guys recommended me, I had a job interview and, and, and I, I got the opportunity. I was very happy with that, that first chance because if you don't get that opportunity, maybe you have to wait longer. The advantage was that I played always on a higher level than, than when I started coaching. Um they wanted me also to be player coach, but I, I I didn't want to do that. I stopped really my player career totally when I was 23. I didn't want to make a combination because I think it's almost imp- uh, impossible to combine both roles and my focus was directly on on the,
0: the head coach job. So being a coach at the age of 24, who are coaches that you would have looked at around the world? And then you know I, I like his style, I like how he, you know, pl- has his players play aggressive or defensive? What, who are the coaches that you looked at and wanted to have the same style as?
2: Um, I, I, I can't say that there were specific coaches, but one example was Leo Boehnacker. For instance, he was 23 when he started as a head coach in, in lower leagues in Holland, and naturally he made a brilliant career afterwards. So he was a little bit of example when you compare to, to age. Um, as a coach, when I was 24, I had to believe that I knew everything, that I was the best coach in the world, and uh, that I could do everything. That changed through my career and through my experience. But when you start, you 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 think you know everything already, and and uh, also my philosophy uh, changed totally. I didn't had really at that time coaches I really want to copy. There were a few Belgian coaches like Walter Maes. Uh, later I worked with, together with him, he was former national team coach of Belgium, former national team player. There were people I admired uh, for the personality, uh, because I looked more, I think, to, to coaches who I liked for personality. Because the style of football, I think you develop, you change. Um, okay, we know now, Guardiola, Mourinho, they have their own style, but you in, in the 80s or in the 90s, uh, it was not more like that style depends also of the players available. So it was more the personality that attracted me as a coach from some people. Uh, but I never wanted to be a copy of someone. I was always myself. and um, actually made also my failures in being myself. But that's the way you learn to become a good coach.
1: So you were uh, successful around the, the lower leagues in Belgium. And then it came time to, to make the jump. And you went to the Faroe Islands, I believe. That was your first... Uh, First of many trips abroad as, as a coach, what was the experience of your first uh, coaching job abroad like? In a very unusual place, I might
2: add. Yeah, yeah, first first, I have to say that the first four years I worked in the lower leagues in Belgium. But I combined it with uh, coaching uh, youth teams in the second division of Belgium. And I was also a match analyst for a Premier League team in Belgium. So I was never home. I uh, had uh, every evening training, was it not with the youth team, then it was with my first team, uh, and if I didn't have gains of my first team, I went to my second team to watch, and in the evening, I went to do my scouting uh, for the Premier League team, uh, and um, uh, I combined it also with my coaching uh, licenses, because 23-24 was the time I got my B license, 25-26, uh, that age I got my A license, Uh, And and I had always the ambition to get up. In Belgium it was very difficult because people see me as a globetrotter but that was never the intention of me. Uh, I wanted to get up in Belgium but then everyone said you are too young to work in professional football in Belgium. Um, I spoke with some clubs to become assistant coach in the Premier League in Belgium but then the head coach said honestly if I take you as my assistant coach in two weeks time you are the head coach because you are too ambitious. So it it was uh, very strange. I wanted to get up in my own country, it it was not possible, I was too young and people were afraid to use me as an assistant coach. So I was looking uh, outside the Belgian borders. In 2000 I got first an offer from Satellite Abidjan in Ivory Coast. I had to deal with them, I had an agreement, but at that time there was a civil war. Uh, around politics in, in Ivory Coast, and uh, I was only 27 years old. The Belgium uh, embassy uh, recommended not to go, and then I decided not uh, to go back to Ivory Coast. I was there a short period. Um, and then in 2002, I got the opportunity to become coach in Faroe Islands. And for me, I played in 1996 for two teams in Faroe Islands, in Klaksvik and in Twer. Um For me, it's one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Still, after travelling so much, for me, Faroe Islands is uh, uh, maybe on the top two list of, of the most beautiful places I ever was. And um, it, was, it was fantastic. I was 28 years old. Uh, I could work in a professional setup. Okay, players were semi-pro. We had a few foreigners who were full pro. But it was perfect to develop myself in a beautiful environment uh, with the right mentality. Um, and yeah,
0: from there, the start
2: around the world, uh, of the, the trip around the world really started.
0: So being at the Faroe Islands, what would you consider the competition like over there, considering it's not exactly the biggest country in the world. It's a place that you were able to grow your coaching abilities. What was the competition like for you as a coach to be able to find ways to try to win over there?
2: Yeah, I was a club coach there. And to give you a background for the people who don't know, Faroe Islands is is in the north is about 600 kilometers above Scotland, 600 kilometers under Iceland, about 1,000 kilometers from Norway in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, 18 islands, only 17 islands are inhabited, and there live 48,000 people in the country. So 48,000 people is a small town in a lot of countries, but they had at that moment 27 different clubs, every club with their own infrastructure, artificial grass pitch, professional youth coach, Uh, Every team had three or four foreign players and organization was perfect. And what I have to say is the Nordic mentality of of players, of people, is is very professional. Professionalism has nothing to do with money, how much players earn or how much uh, people in a club earn. Professionalism has many times to do with the mentality uh, of of people. And and I I could find it there very well. Uh, Naturally, I was still young. Uh, I had older players and more experienced people around me, but it was a, a good step for me uh, to develop myself, uh, to get good results. The first year we ended second, um, and it, it it was it was the right step in that in that time, uh, the right move. And it's a beautiful country. I still follow it, and if if people know Faroe Islands, it's a very small country, but they they were in i'm not sure now but they were uh, 2 years ago in the top 80 of the world ranking uh with forty eight fifty thousand 50,000 people they beat in qualification uh 3 4 years ago Greece home and away uh the time i was there they played germany they lost at home 0-2 and in germany 2-1 so it's it's not it's not the country where Teams we beat 7-0. The football is, uh, is, is, is uh, not full pro, but the mentality is, is really die-hard and uh, very good mentality. And players have skills because there's a good development from a young age. And most of the coaches are also qualified coaches there.
1: Uh, was Brian Kerr the national team manager while you were there? Who? Brian Kerr. He was an Irish no, guy. He was no, no, the national no, team no, there. The,
2: no, the Irish coach he came much later. Uh, the moment uh, Alan Simonsen was uh, just before I arrived there, and when I was there was Henrik uh, Larsen, uh, a Danish guy who became European champion in 1992 uh, with Denmark. He was the coach at that moment. I think Brian Kerr came uh, middle 2007, 08 or something. Then I was already uh, further in my world tour.
1: Yeah, because I'm going to jump on to the next one. Because it was obviously great exposure for you if, if, the, if your next club, which I believe was, was Telstar, I don't know if I'm saying that right, yeah. which is in Holland, which is, a, they're, they're traditionally in the second flight, but one of the bigger clubs down there, I think.
2: Yeah, but I was assistant coach there, and, and, and people sometimes didn't understand. Faroe Islands had, had a leak from uh, starting April till, till October. Uh, you started pre-season uh, in January. Uh, in October, everything was done. And uh, the new head coach of uh, of, of Telstar um, was a friend of me, Jan Portfleet, a former Dutch, Dutch national team player, former PSV player, who played in 1978 the World Cup with Holland uh, against Argentina. Uh, and we were close to each other. I did my I did the trials as a football player at his club. He didn't give me a contract, but we stayed friends. And when he became head coach in Telstar, and I was on holiday in, in my home country, Belgium, because the season was finished in... Uh, in, in Faroe Islands. Uh, they asked me if I wanted to assist him and actually Holland's second highest league, very professional, well organized, uh, a total different style of football but one of the top countries in, in football development. Uh, so it, I was at that time 29-30 uh, and I got that opportunity. Uh, so I had an agreement for them, I'm going to stay here three, four months but after one month, they asked me to stay. They offered me a three-year contract. Um, so I discussed it with the first team in uh, B71 where I was coaching. Uh, but I had also a contract with them, so uh, they didn't want to release me. And it made my time in Telstar a short period. Um, but a good experience, also again in my development, because yeah, Holland is always one of my uh, favorite leagues. And, and maybe very interesting. in My philosophy in the beginning of my career, uh, till I worked in Germany, uh, I was a very big fan of Dutch football, uh, the nice combination football, offensive football. Uh, but we later come back to that. Why it changed and uh, when it changed.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I'm so, probably going to skip on a tiny bit there. Uh, we're going to come to your time in the Quarters Stars League. Uh, just. I've, I've, I've often been fascinated about the rise of football in, in, in the Middle East and, and the Qatar Stars League because they've, they've got some absolutely massive names in, the, in that league. And I'm wondering, like, what's the disparity between the, 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 the high-paid players and the rest of them? What's that league like, actually? Yeah,
2: when, when, when I, I was in Fairway coaching and uh, Walter Meus, one of my uh, examples when I started as a coach, a former Belgian national team coach, uh, I did my practical in my coaching license uh, with him, and he called me and he said, Tom, I have an offer from Ali Tehat. Currently, it's Al Garafa. I can uh, become coach in the Qatar Star League. Are you willing to join me? Um, I had no doubt financially it was a good offer, plus the chance to work in, 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 in such a country. Uh, what is the first year of the Star League? Uh, it was a year with Batistuta, uh, Gordiola, oh, wow. Yero, Effenberg, Basler, Leboeuf, uh, Kanija. All these players were there, it was the first year it, they started. So uh, I think the top players had something around two million that time. Uh, a Qatari player had around six, seven thousand US dollars uh, a month. Um, so that was quite different, but yeah, it was a fantastic experience. Uh, everything top, organized, professional, uh, fantastic uh, stadiums, uh, training grounds, grass pitches. And actually, I was that time 30 years old. Uh, being on the pitch or on the side of the pitch playing against the likes of Batistuta or Jero, uh is actually totally different than being on the side of the pitch in Faroe Islands or even at Telstar. Uh, so so it, was, it was a big step. Um, I worked at uh, in, 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 in uh, we, had four, we had four foreigners. Maybe not the most famous one in the world, we had Cabo Diawara, former Arsenal player, Blackburn Rovers, Aston Villa. Who played Paris Saint-Germain Olympique Marseille? We had uh, Jamel Bomadi, currently national team coach of Algeria, uh, but that time uh, playing before for Marseille, Celta de Vigo, and uh, Manchester City. I remember uh, the city, yeah. We had Amaral, uh, Brazilian national team player who played for uh, Fiorentina, Parma, uh, uh, Bejitas, and uh, Benfica. And we had uh, Pius Ngifi, Cameroon national team player who played in France for Sudan. So, we didn't have the big name, the Batistuta or the Aero, but you compete with them. Uh, so, that was fantastic. Again, as a young coach, to experience totally different. Also, life was fantastic there. Uh, everything top-organized, total different experience. And I enjoyed it. And uh, we were 10 league games uh, in charge. We lost one game uh, against Gordiola against al That was our 10th game. Uh, we lost um, 2-1. and. Um, uh, the week that was end November, and uh, Walter, the head coach, and I, we say to each other on the bench, um, it will be dangerous because around five, six coaches were fired around us in other teams uh, because they fired uh, very crazy and sure at that period of time. But we didn't get fired that week, so we play a week later friendly against Al Nasser from Dubai. We beat Al Nasr from Dubai 4-0. Uh, we go home on Saturday evening. And at uh, or, uh, 11.30 at night, I get a phone call from Walter, the head coach. He asked me to come to his house. And I thought on a Saturday evening, so late, he opens the door and he tells Tom, uh, well, I'm Walter, I'm fired. And I start laughing. I said, no, tell me now the reality, why I have to come here. Because we won 4-0. Half an hour, one and a half hour later, we won 4-0. And no, we were fired. Uh, and we have never knew why we think... Because we didn't listen to the shake, but uh, yeah, so we had one defeat in our last game. We won 4-0, but we got fired. Uh, but that was part of the game, uh, and there were already so many coaches gone. But it was a great experience, and I think I made a good impression because after that, I got the the question of the request uh, to join the coaching staff from the Qatar under-17
0: national team
2: uh, squad. So that was uh, also great.
0: So then talk to us about that under-17 team in guitar, you were able, like you said, to make that transition there. What was the talent level at that time in guitar for the U-17s?
2: Yeah, you can't compare that uh, with, with Europe for sure that time. Uh, we had a lot of um, skillful players. Uh, I think that's known for most of the Gulf countries. Players are physically maybe less strong, but have... Uh, a lot of physical uh technical strength, skillful, good dribbles. I was there together with Tini Rose, a Dutch guy who was before national team coach, senior national team coach of Emirates, uh, adapter of the Curver method, the skill development training. So for me, it was also very nice to to get more in that. Um, and we, we, we went on training camp in Germany for a month. We went on training camp to Holland for a month. We went on training camp to Malaysia for three weeks. And then we went to the Asian Cup in, in Japan. So... Money was there enough. You had everything to prepare as a professional team. Players were available uh, full time. Uh, we had a good coaching staff. We had a good uh, medical team. Everything was there. Um, but yeah, and actually, compared, we went to, to, to some international tournaments in the summer in, in Europe. We played uh, Arsenal. We played Schalke, under 19 teams in tournaments, youth tournaments. We lost them 1 2 0. Um, but naturally, physically, if you would really play national teams of, of Europe, you would have, have problems. But there was a strength and on the end we became also third in the, in the Asian Cup uh, in, in Japan. So it was very nice. Um, but after that, uh, normally we had the World Cup in 2005. But I was so restless and uh, I wanted to coach in Europe again. And I got to an agent I met in Germany an offer to, to go to Germany to coach there, and I left the national team, left the World Cup under-17 uh, to become head coach in Germany.
1: Uh, what division was, the, was that in? Was that the, the third fight in Germany? Oh, the,
2: the, the fourth highest league, uh, okay. a team who, who had the ambition to play for promotion, but just like in, in, in England, uh, the fourth highest league is also full professional. Uh, I had that moment 17 foreigners in my squad in Germany, Bevo Kloppenburg, we, we trained only in the day hours, everything top organized. And from all the places I worked, I I I, I love the German mentality. Um, we like Gary Lineker say, football is played by two teams and on the end we're in Germany. And how many times in the eighties and nineties everyone was frustrated with the late minute goals of, of German teams in, in Europa Cup games. But it's not a luck. It's it's a it's a mentality. It's a way of playing, and I loved working there. So professional, so well organized. Um, uh, always a lot of spectators. Infrastructure. Everything was perfect, and I came in a team with the ambition uh, to to become champion in the league. I was at that time 33, still very young. Sure, in Germany now there are players like Tuchel, and, and uh, Tedesco and Nagelsmann, but at that time, that's more than 10-15 years before this guy came uh, on the pitch. I was still very young. And, um, yeah, there I got maybe um, one of my biggest disappointments as coach, uh, but also uh, a, a, a great wake-up call. As I told you before, um, when I worked in, in lower leagues in Belgium, when I worked in Fairwinds, when I worked in Holland, in Qatar, um, I always loved offensive football, uh, 4-3-3 style or, or variations on it. I loved uh, skillful uh, football and uh, was more an eye to nice games than, than only result. In Germany, I, I coached 12 teams, 12 uh, official matches a team. Uh, I won six, drew three and lost three. My, first, my last three games, I won, drew and lost. We were in the semi-final of the NFL Cup, what gives the right to go to the German DFB Cup. Uh, but I got fired. Uh, I remember a game we played second team of Wolfsburg on a Friday evening, a bus trip of four hours. Um, and we played at eight o'clock in the evening. And so at night we drive back after the game. And the president of the club, he was not in, uh, in, at the game. So for four hours, the president was on my mobile phone telling to me from asking me, how is it possible we lose? We lost 5-2 in Wolfsburg, we were 3-0 behind, we came back 3-2, we shoot on the crossbar for 3-3, they have a counter, 4-2. We tried to push for 4-3, we get 5-2. Uh, so, the president was four hours in the middle of the night talking to me, how is it possible we, get, we lose, blah, blah, blah. And then, something in my mind came and said, yeah, in theory, it's not important if we play good or not, the only thing that counts in football is the result. And Germany has always results. There is a reason for that. We don't like them sometimes. We don't like their style. But on the end, they are in the finals. They win trophies. And then I talk about the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. Um, and, and, and that was something for me what I got fired was very, very much down because I left Qatar under-17, left World Cup opportunity in Peru 2005 to become coach in Germany with the idea to make a career in Germany, but got fired after 12 competitive matches. Uh, but that moment, I started to analyse myself, watch more and more German football, watch Italian football. For me, two countries who are famous for maybe not always the best quality, but always getting results. And there, I changed totally my philosophy. From the nice tika taka football, from the nice um, style, I went to a coach who taught about first result and then uh, the style. And my next opportunity was coaching in Holland. (laughs) I became uh, under-19, under-23 coach of FC Emmer and director of youth. That was the first appointment in FC Emmer, the second highest league in Holland. And it was perfect because I used... And it doesn't sound nice, but I used my under-19 team to try out my new ideas, my new philosophies of football. And in the beginning, people were were very negative towards me, players, parents of players. They said, has this something to do with football? Um, Emma was always struggling with the youth teams in in the league, uh, always fighting against relegation. And we started the league and uh, we started winning. We were playing top three, top four. We beat Ajax Amsterdam. With Daily Blint in the team. I have still the team sheet. We beat in Amsterdam Ajax 2-3. We were only three times over the middle line. <laughs> but we win 2-3. We beat Vitesse Arnhem. Uh, so we got great results. And um, in that group of, of, of my under 19 was one player. Um, he was number 10. And I made him a striker. And he I had a lot of discussions with him. He didn't want to do what I now sat. I put him on the bench. I said, you have to do this. And then he played well. He didn't score goals. But I was also under-23 coach. I took him to the under-23. And then he started scoring goals. And later, a few months later, I became technical director of the first team. And I brought immediately that player in the first team and gave him a contract. And that player is Bas Dost, um, Dutch national team player, two years ago behind Messi, silver boot of Europe. Uh, with 38 goals for Sporting Lissabon, currently Eintracht Frankfurt, uh, before Wolfsburg and top scorer in Holland with Heereveen. But he was in my under-19 of Emma, he was not number 10. And uh, so I, I I let players, five players develop from the under-19 to the first team in one year time, but we got also great results. I got even the request to coach the first team, but at that moment I didn't let my with a pro license, and in Holland, you need a pro license. I had only my A license at that moment of time, so I couldn't coach, so I became technical director. So that moment in Germany where I uh, was totally down was an eye-opener for me and changed my career, and, and I'm very
0: happy for that moment now. And so that led you on to, like you said, emin and being able to become that technical director over there, being able to bring those players on to the first team. When you were there, what type of style did you like to like to put on? Like you said, you you changed from being an offensive guy going 4-3-3 to changing and being about the result. When you were able to get the results that you wanted, how happy were you about it? And what did you think post-match, after your games, and thought, okay, that's the way I like to play?
2: Yeah, we, we played the four Four two,
0: three, one style, ball loose four five one,
2: with f- fast counter attack. We didn't need to have ball possession. Uh, we were a transition team. Uh, and, and uh, it was a different style of football. Uh, and in the beginning, like I said, I was never worried about my own thoughts, uh, but you work in an organization with, 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 with directors, with other coaches, with parents, with players. Um, And and if you do this and you don't get results, it will be soon over. But because of the good results, everyone was supportive of it. And the general director of the club asked me even to coach the first team. They wanted to fire the coach of the first team in October uh, 2006 after he lost 5-0 in Goethe Eagles-Deventer. But I didn't have the license, so they had to wait for that. So for me... um, There were two lines, the line of my own development and and, uh, finding new ways and naturally, coaching youth is less stressful, so you can try out more. Uh, the players were also very adaptive to what I wanted. They, they, they really listened. And they were also motivated because they want to win also. They want also to beat Ajax. They, a few players made it to the Dutch national team, thanks to the good results. Because if you are in a winning team, you will be noticed by the national team under 19 coaches. and So, so it's a win-win situation. Um, plus then you get feedback. The first team coach get a little bit jealous because you win too much, but that was a good sign. I mean, uh, if people get scared of you, it means that you 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 are winning something. If people laugh at you, you're losing something. So for me, it was my personal development plus naturally the the outside feedback of maybe we don't like the style, but we like the result. And I think we all play football. If you and I, with us three, gonna play football tomorrow on a small pitch. We will have fun, but we want to win also. And, and, and that's part of football, and for sure in professional football. So it, it helped me. When I was technical director, I had no influence on, on, on the style of playing because there was a head coach responsible uh, for that. I naturally had influence on, on uh, creating the, the squad. Uh, I, I got players from Denmark. I have to tell you something. Um, when I was uh, head coach of that director, technical director, I made the change. FC Emma is about 200 kilometers from Amsterdam. Uh, it's, 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 it's it's a farmer area, uh, very rural, um, no big city. Um, and we noticed that players who came from a big city never adapted there. Uh, they 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 always drove up and down to Amsterdam, 200 kilometers after training, even if they had an apartment in Emma. So when I became director, I said we need to find players who 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 are. Uh, yeah. My daughter comes just telling you something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we need to find players who, who, who understand the mentality of, of this area. And in the past, some Scandinavian players were successful. Mika Nurmela, uh, former Kaiserslautere, ex-Finnish national team captain. He played for Emma. A few Danish players played for Emma. So, I went to scout in Scandinavia, in Germany, because it's close to the border. So, I had my philosophy in getting players. We had a lot of young players. I think 12% of the, 12 of the 24 players were from the region. Then we had two Danish players. We had German, two German players who were close to the border. And we had five players of the a youth under 19 who made the step to the, to the first team. There I had influence in. But the style of playing of the first team, I had no influence. The, the the we fired the coach after a few weeks. We got a new coach. We did even a psychological screening by uh, outsourcement by a company because that's something what a lot of professional clubs are missing. Clubs are many times run by people who love football, who love who are good business people who have big companies, uh, but who have, with all respect, no clue of football. Um, and uh, if you are a head coach. Uh, of a team. it doesn't matter if you are successful in, in another team. It doesn't mean that you are successful in the team. Uh, you, they, they appoint you. It has to do with mentality. Are you suitable for, for It doesn't mean if you are successful with, with Brighton or Albion that you're also successful with Manchester United. And the same in, in, any, in any country, in any level, you need to find the right coach with the right mentality for the, for the atmosphere in the club, for the surrounding of the club, for the quality of the players. So we did a screening. We had, naturally, analysis of the CV. We had interviews with several players. But we did also psychological screening with the coach to see his leader capacity, his personality under pressure. And then we appointed the coach. So in that way, I had some influence, but not on the tactical things. Uh, but after a few months, I felt the need... I was not always agreeing with the coach. I was many times not agreeing with the tactical choices of the coach. But me, as a coach, would not love a technical director to tell me what to do. So that was a little bit frustrating. I didn't tell him also what to do because I never liked that, people, that I do something to people what I don't like people do to me. So I felt the need. Maybe it's not my job right now. I need to go back to coaching. And um, yeah, after a few months, I decided uh, to leave Emma and to go back looking for a coaching position where I could be creative in my own tactical choices.
1: Yeah. So, so during this time, you've you've basically figured out the coaching system that, that you want to go forward in your career with now this might be jumping on a bit but when you go on to a national team like at least when you're at a club side you can you can buy or, or, or get in players that that play the way that you want them to play but what's it like when you go into a national team and you've maybe got a small pool of players maybe the, the left back is, is at a very good club but but he's he's an offensive guy who can't defend and that's not really what you want but your second choice is you you, you know not really quite as good how, how do you come over that as a Coach, yeah,
2: um, naturally I I, I I have a philosophy of playing, but my philosophy changes also depending of which team I'm coaching. If I'm tomorrow coaching uh, Real Madrid, I will coach different than when I coach uh, Getafe or uh, Osasuna. I mean that that to give an example, you you cannot say this is my only style. Uh, I have sometimes a frustration that people are so full of of Guardiola, but I would like to see Gordiola coaching tomorrow. Uh, a small team in a small league and see if he gets the results with the players available. So I, as a coach, try always to adapt to, to, to the players available with my philosophy. i give you an example. When I went, my first national team coaching job was in uh, Namibia in 2008. I was just 35 years old, became head coach there and I had uh, about 10 days before my first uh, tournament, the uh, KOSAFA Cup in Southern Africa. Um, in Namibia, I had at that time there were a few professionals, but they were not released uh, for, for the national team matches. So I had only players who played in the local league. Um, and people said, You are crazy. Uh, you know how people think about sometimes African players not being able to play in the discipline and the tactical discipline uh, as a national team coach, very little time. Uh, but I spoke with my coaching staff because I was new, I didn't know the players. I explained to them my philosophy and asked them then. Uh, to, to find the right players to, to execute that, that system. My left back was a teacher. He was a uh, teacher and playing in the, fe- in the, in the Namibian uh, League. Uh, but these guys, my philosophy, my style of playing is very easy to explain. I'm so trained in it in a short period of time. I made so many moves. Sometimes I had only three days to explain my, my system to a new team of players because national team players are released on Monday, Monday. And if you play on Thursday or Friday, you don't have much time because they have to fly from Europe to, to, to the country you play. You have maybe two, three training th- days and that's it. So very, um, very strategic, uh, uh, good uh, uh, tactical meetings to explain step by step and to make it very basic. And I give the guidelines to players. And actually, if you're longer in a country and longer in a national team, you find the players who can execute the, the, the things better. But to give you an example, with Namibia, they before my arrival, they had 12 games with the previous coach. They lost 11 of it. Uh, my first game, we won 3-0 against Comoros. My second, we drew against Lesotho. My third, we won 1-0 against Malawi. Uh, better ranked teams than us. Um, we, we we beat uh, Zimbabwe 4-2, who was 30-40 positions, better ranked than us. And we played even... That was already after two years. We played South Africa 99 days before the World Cup. South Africa was Carlos Alberto Pereira, uh, former Brazil World Champion, in Durban for the opening of the stadium. And we kept them on 1-1. We were leading 0-1 till the 17th minute, and then they scored 1-1 for 50,000 people. Me, with only uh, semi-pros and one or two pros against the full pro team who had played the World Cup. Another example, when I signed in 2011 with uh, Ethiopia, my first match, Ethiopia lost 4-0 uh, before I arrived. They lost 4-0 in Nigeria. They fired the coach, um, so I came in 10 days before the next match uh, against Nigeria at home. And all my Nigerian, all, all my Ethiopian players were local based. The highest salary was 200 US dollar of my players, and we played Nigeria with John Obi Mikel, Taiwo, Yobo, uh, all the big stars of uh, Musa, all the big stars of Nigeria. We were leading 2-1 till the 88th minute. And on the end, Jobo scored the header 2-2. So, I mean, you can say the quality is totally different. Um, Nigeria must beat us 4-0, 5-0. South Africa had to beat Namibia. But I think as a coach, if you have a good system and you can explain it very good, simple, you can give the guidelines, the tools, it must be possible with any country, with every country you work with, every type of player to introduce it. Uh, because it's very basic and it's a clear guideline.
1: Uh, so when you were doing these national team jobs at both Namibia and uh, uh, Ethiopia, were you based in Africa? Because I assume that there's an awful lot of local leagues and you probably spend a lot of time watching football games.
2: Yeah, um, for me it was always important, uh, for sure in the countries where I had uh, the majority of players in the local leagues, to stay in Africa. I lived... Uh, uh 90 of the time in africa uh in the countries uh, namibia is one of the most beautiful when i spoke about Faroe islands uh about top two countries in the world namibia is in their top two uh of, of living fantastic place uh very modern well-organized uh beautiful country fantastic mentality i lived there and um, a dutch friend who I, who I worked together with in emma a few years before Came to visit me in January 2009 in Namibia. He stayed in my house. He was 30 days uh, with me, and he counted that we saw 28 league matches in 30 days. Wow, that's a lot. So, so yeah, for me it's not a punishment. I love to watch football, and how more football I see in local leagues, and not always the big teams. Uh, When I was even, and that's not only Africa. When I was national team coach of Malta. Um, in Malta, you have four leagues, uh, and then you have the Gosling League, two leagues. Uh, I saw all the teams in Malta. So I didn't see only the Premier League teams. I didn't see o- only the first and second division, even the third division teams. I saw every team at least one time playing. The top teams, I saw 10, 15 times. The lower league teams, I saw one time. But for me as a coach, it's very important when you coach a country, when you work in a new country, to, to know the whole... Uh, background of football, not only the, the, the major players, the top teams and the players you will select, but also the base, because you have to understand where players come from, what is their background, how are they developed in this country. And if you know all these things, it's easier to work with them and to, 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 to put your uh, demands on them. So for me, it's very important to live and, in the country and to watch as much as possible games, to watch training sessions
0: and to be in close contact with uh, the local coaches do. And so I want to go back and talk about Namibia and where, like you mentioned, you were able to beat some pretty high-ranked clubs in Zimbabwe. You were able to get a draw against South Africa. And you talk about the culture there and trying to figure out how a player, where a player comes from and how they basically evolve into these great players. In Namibia, you were being called basically the messiah over there by their media and how you fixed their culture of soccer. And so I want to ask over there, uh, what was the culture like there? Because I guess before they weren't exactly the top tier and you were able to make climb the ranks and put them 34 spots up in the FIFA rankings.
2: Yeah. it's it, Namibia is, is, is close to South Africa. So they are a little bit uh, similar, but the difference with Namibia is that it's a, uh, uh, a former German uh, colony, and you you feel that still a lot. There's a lot of discipline, discipline in life, discipline in, in football. Uh, the federation was very good organized, uh, naturally with limited funds compared to the big uh, federations in Europe or in Africa, but uh, they were well organized, and players had also certain discipline. so it was fantastic to work with them. And again, you come to that point, the moment you bring something different, uh, if you have success, people will follow you. People will celebrate you. People will respect you. As a coach, you are just as good as your results. I mean, you can talk beautiful, but if you don't get results, you, you no one will trust and believe you. No one will follow you. Um, so I had uh, that luck maybe in Namibia or, or that quality in Namibia to, to get immediately good results, and we as team developed. And, um, but, but Namibia has a lot of potential. It's a fantastic country. It's very small in, in population. There live only 2 million people in Namibia. Uh, it's it's a very huge in size. It's two times the size of uh, Germany, but uh, two, to only 2 million people. But, but the quality of players was naturally limited compared to the bigger nations. We even drew against Angola, Uh, so we had several good results. We beat Congo DRC, who was top 60 in the FIFA ranking, and we were around 100 position. We beat them 4-0 in a friendly match, Uh, so we got some crazy results. Uh, But that was thanks to a good organization with the federation, good cooperation with the players. And for me as a coach, I learned through my career I made a lot of mistakes, but I learned um, that that the, the, the personal touch, the understanding of the culture, the understanding sometimes of religion, the respect of, of, of habits is very important. Too many uh, coaches go to a foreign country with the expectation that everything will be the same as in their own country and have the demands everything the same as in their own country. And there, a lot of coaches fail. When I was in Namibia, the coach before me, he came from Holland, Uh, He was a qualified coach. Uh, He worked in different countries, but he failed if you look to the results. So it's very important to understand, to respect the culture, to to work together with people and not the will to to change everything. You have to respect things, keep the good things, cooperate and step by step, bring your own ideas in it. And too many coaches, they go like a bulldozer. Uh, They want to change. They destroy everything. What was there? And first of all, it's offensive to the local people. Uh, And second of all, there is no coach in the world who knows everything. I, as a coach, learn still every day. I'm not anymore the coach of 24 when I was 24 years old. At that time, I thought I knew everything. Now I still know that I don't know everything and I'm still developing and changing. And I think that was a strength to be open for that. i give you one example. When I started in Namibia, uh, I had a meeting with my team manager for the first time. And I had selected 30 players for the training and he comes to me and he said, coach, we have a problem. Uh, I have only 20 blue socks for training and the rest are white socks. And I looked at him and his name was Tim and I said, Tim, do we lose the match if we train in blue and white socks? And he was surprised with my question and he said, no. I said, then it's not a problem for me. I think sometimes coaches make too much problems on not important things. And you need to focus on the real important things. What's important is naturally a good ball, good training ground, good hotel, uh, good food, this kind, maybe good uh, transport if you have got flight connections. But too many coaches lose energy and time on non-important things, things who have no influence on the result. And as a coach, you need to focus on that. And for sure, as a national team coach, where you have very limited time to work with a team. Focus on the small important things and not on the not important things.
1: I think you've touched on it a little bit, but uh, I wanted, now that you're, you're coaching national teams, like, uh, apart from the coach, what is the main difference between uh, coaching a, a club side and coaching a, a national team? And what's the differences and what, what, uh, what, what is similar between them? Yeah,
2: a, a club coach works every day with the players. So he, he has more influence on the development of a player. As a national team coach, you, 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 you select players who are ready because you have no time to, to get them fit. You have only three, four days with the players. So the players need to be fit. You will, you will not make them uh, technically better. So you select players based on their fitness and technical ability, and you have only influence mentally, psychologically, and you have influence tactically. As a club coach, you have the whole spectrum of, of influences. You can make technical players better. You can make them physically better. You can go more in detail in uh, of, of tactical training sessions. Um, and you have, um, yeah, day in, day out, the chance to improve things. Uh, Ottmar hisfeld uh, had the same question. They asked him when he was national team coach of Switzerland, what is the difference between coaching Switzerland and coaching Bayern Munich? And he answered, when I coach by Munich I have everyday stress um, if i lose on this in the weekend but i then i have the whole week problems but if i win the week after everyone forgot that i lost last week when i coach switzerland i have not so much stress during the year but when i have a game the stress is 10 times higher than uh, as a club coach first of all national team Everyone supports the country, country. even grandmothers, ladies, kids. Everyone is a fan of their own national team. Even people who never watch football, they watch the national team. And if you lose with your national team, sometimes you have three months, no other game. So the last game can be so important. If you win your last game, you are three months safe. If you lose your last game, you have three months, big problems. So the stress of national team games is bigger. You have less influence on, um, on, on on the development of players. On the other side, as a national team play, coach, you can choose the players you want. I mean, if a country has two million people, you can choose one million men. If they play football, you can choose and decide who will se- who you will select. So if a player is, is not fitting personality, tactically, or for any other reason, you can drop him. As a club coach, okay, if you work in a good team and you have an influence, you can buy some players, but at least. 70 or 80 percent of the players are still there from the previous coach and will be also there when you leave. So in that way, you have less influence in which players you choose. As a club coach, you can buy players also from foreign countries and as a national team coach not. So it's, it's um, it, there are similarities, there are differences. Um, sometimes when I'm a national team coach, I miss to be a club coach. I miss the stress of being weekly on the pitch and have the tension of a game and to work with the players. But when I'm a club coach, I miss the big tension of the big games of a national team coach. So it's it's very difficult to choose.
0: Both have their beautiful sides. And so sticking basically with national team-wise, you know, the last few World Cups, we've seen some African nations be close to qualifying for the World Cup. and. You had South Africa be host country, and you had teams like Ethiopia and Burkina Faso almost break through. Who, which African nation do you think would will be the next to be able to debut in the World Cup? What, what would you think?
2: Yeah, the, the, the problem is there's such a big limitation on African teams. There are only six African teams who can go to the World Cup, and and, and, and there are a few major countries. Right? We have the Egypt, Algeria, Tunisia, Morocco. In North Africa, there are four teams who deserve to be on the World Cup. In West Africa, you have Senegal, you have Ghana, Cameroon, Nigeria, and Ivory Coast. There are five. Now, I mentioned already nine countries, and only six can go. South Africa, I didn't mention. Togo was in 2006 with Angola also on the World Cup. So there's already uh, 12 teams for six positions. Uh, and you know also some other countries are developing... Uh, look at, at, at Mali, look at Ethiopia, look at um, Guinea, um, look at, at even Gambia. We are not anymore in the running, but we have so much potential that in theory we could in the future qualify. Uh, Congo, Congo, DRC Congo is, is, is for me a nation with so much huge potential, a very strong local league, top professional, and a lot of Congolese players who play in Europe. So there are so many African countries who could play a role on the World Cup, but the limitation of, 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 of six makes it difficult. So you need a little bit of luck in your group stages and your draws um, uh, to qualify. Uh, and, and on the end, you see that most of the time the similar countries because you have still a playoff, and then the big nations sometimes have it easier to qualify because of the experience. I'm only a little bit disappointed about the performance of African teams on World Cups, except of Ghana in 2010 who almost reached the semi-final. If, if Suárez from Uruguay didn't make a beautiful goalkeeper save uh, with the hand, uh, then, then then Ghana had reached the semi-final. But I believe that, that the big African nations, and then I talk about Senegal, I talk about um, uh, Ghana, I talk about Nigeria, Cameroon, that these nations must be able to reach the highest in, in, in senior level because they have so much potential, but sometimes their approach tactically is not the right one to go to a World Cup uh, because a lot of coaches forget that your tactical approach is not only depending on your quality but is also related to the quality of the opponent, and a lot of coaches forget that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm just going to jump on. I'm sorry, we, we've skipped a huge amount. But what's African club football like? Uh, I, I know that you, you were the Free state, free State Stars and the Young Africans, which are in Tanzania. Uh, again, also over in the Western world, we know little to nothing about African club football. But what's the standard like? And
0: uh, What's the crowds like?
2: The risk of saying African football is already difficult. If you, if you see how big Africa is, uh, Europe fits a few times in it. Uh, so you can't say African football, it's so diverse. You have naturally the North African teams, the Zamalek, Salahli, Wydad uh, Casablanca, Raja, Esperanza, Tunisia, Toile de Sahel, that are the North African teams who are very professional in the organization infrastructure, who have huge budgets. Um, Big clubs, uh, I, I know that, Yeah,
1: they've uh, they had a lot of success there in international competitions as well yeah, as I they know. They always
2: yeah. in the top of, of Champions League and Confederation Cup and, and they pay sometimes salaries what European clubs can't pay. In, in Congo, you have AS Vita Club, Tepe Mazembe, uh, Trezor Puto got once an offer from Arsenal when Arsene Wenger was there uh, and, and the president of, of Tepe Mazembe said, what does Arsenal offer you? And he said, this amount, okay, i pay you the same and he stayed in Tipi Mazembe, so so, um, so, people have no idea about that, but it's a very high level. South Africa, top organized teams, stay in four or five star hotels before games, travel by plane, have top infrastructure. So uh, naturally you have smaller leagues, you have poorer countries, but the big leagues are, are very organized and very professional. Uh, Free State Stars was naturally one of these leagues of teams in, in, in a very well-organized league, South Africa, after the World Cup, beautiful World Cup stadiums. Um, they have the, the English Premier League as an as, 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 uh, example. Also from broadcasting, all games live broadcast, a lot of TV shows, very nice level of football. Uh, maybe not the highest in African football, uh, but top organized. Um, when we talk about young Africans... I think that's totally unknown for people. But I'm going to give you an example. In, in Tanzania, I live about 45 million people. And there are 10 million people, members of Young Africans. Um, when I arrived in Tanzania, um, the people from the club came and watched me before uh, the, 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 the uh, immigration. If I had nothing red on, because the biggest opponent is Simba. They play red and white. Yanga play yellow and green. And they didn't want that I wear something red because outside were four or five hundred people standing with scarves, flags waiting for me as arrival as new coach, A television crews. Uh, when I arrived there, I was escorted to, to, the, to the, the infrastructure of the club. And my first two training sessions, they closed the center and asked money on the spectators to come and watch our training session, 10 shilling. Not much, but my first training sessions were 1,500 paying people watching my training in, in Tanzania. Um, my first friendly game against the local team were 15,000 people in the stadium. We played our league games in the national stadium. It was our home ground. We had always around 40,000 people. We Young Africans go on training camp in Turkey uh, the last years. So they go always to Turkey in, the, in January on training camp where the European teams are. And um, so it's, 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 it's crazy. We won the Sikafa Cup. It's a little bit the Champions League of East and, and Central Africa. We were invited by Paul Kagame, the president of Rwanda, at his place. So it, it's quite it's, it's, it's huge. We played one game a thousand kilometers away. We left the day before with our own bus. We stayed in a hotel. Fifty kilometers before we arrived in Bea. there were cars waiting for us to escort us to the town with flags. And we played thousand kilometers away from Dar es Salaam. And there were 20,000 people in the stadium and 19,500 had yellow green on the colors of young Africans and not of the home crowd. So uh, sometimes there are countries, even Ethiopia, I never coached a club team in Ethiopia, but teams like Ethiopian uh, Coffee, like St. George, um, i give you an example, Giuseppe Dossena, former uh, Italian uh, national team player, played several World Cups, ex-Juventus, I think. He coached, at the time I was national team coach of Ethiopia, he coached St. George. St. George played always for 30,000 people in every, every match. Fantastic crowd. So there are countries where people love football, where football is, is the highest religion. And um, naturally, uh, sometimes you have to cope with less infrastructure, but the passion of football wins everything.
1: Wow, that is very interesting, and I'm going to move on now to your time at Toga. and I gotta got ask you about what happened with Adebayor.
2: Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, good question, uh, and a, a, a fantastic uh story for me. I have to say, um, Adebayor is probably the best player I ever worked with. Uh, at that time, he was at Tottenham Hotspurs. Um, but his skills, his physical presence, his quality is, is fantastic. He was a few times also uh, voted to African Player of the Year. He played for Arsenal, for Tottenham, for Real Madrid. I Man think- City? Hmm?
1: Manchester City as well?
2: Manchester City. I worked with a few players of Manchester City, by the way. I played also. Oh, I was also coaching in Zimbabwe, uh, Benjani. Who Benjani, soccer, yeah. And actually, uh, Jamal Belmadi. So, uh, I have some... Uh, Manchester City uh, influence of a head. Uh, but uh, to come back um, to, to Adebayor, I, my first uh, game was, was in a friendly match in Mauritius. I didn't make the selection because I was only appointed a few days before the match. He was not there. And then for my first uh, qualification game against Liberia, I selected him. Uh, we would uh, had two weeks about uh, camp. We will play on Monday. We will play Sunday, the last Sunday we would play the game. The Monday before we would have a friendly in Ghana against Arvind Grant, at that time coach of Ghana. Um, and, and adebayo was in the selection, but he was not in the hotel. Uh, on Sunday, he was not in the hotel. On Monday, we trained, he was not in the hotel, on Tuesday he was not in the hotel. And and for me, I'm known as a strict disciplinarian. I think it's very important. I like discipline on the pitch because my tactical approach demands discipline, but you can't have discipline on the pitch if you have no discipline outside the pitch. So for me, it's very important that players, when they come to a national team or when they are with the club, that they respect the rules, stay in the hotel, be focused on the team, don't do other strange things. Um, that's for me very important. Um, so in, in Togo, it was the same, and, and Adebayor is a big star, but I had a lot of big stars in Togo. I had uh, Mathieu Docevi, that time Olympiacos Piraeus. I had uh, Romão, that time Olympique Marseille. I had uh, Floyd Aite, later Fulham, uh, that time Bastia. So I had a lot of, of, of players of high level. Serge Gakpé, that time Genoa. So you can't say we have only local-based players and one star. We have a lot of big players. So he was not there. And on on Wednesday, we will play 11 against 11. He's not there. About 5,000 people are watching the training, about 30 television cameras are there. Uh, And we are 40 minutes training, and I hear the noise of a motorcycle. And uh, I look up, I'm standing opposite of my technical bench. On the opposite side is, uh, is, is uh, my coaching staff and the media. Um, and I look to my physical coach who is with me, who worked with me in South Africa and Bangladesh, different countries now also, in Gambia. Uh, and I look at him and I said, what is that? And a guy comes in in the motorcycle, two wheels in front, one wheel in the back, leather suit on, helmet on. He steps up, tall guy, to his leather clothes out, he has exactly the same training clothes on as us. He runs over the pitch, comes to me, shake my hand, and he say, hi, coach, I'm Shea Emmanuel Adebayor. I said, yes, I know that. <laughs> um, and I told him, I said, Shea, uh, I expected you in the hotel. Yeah, sorry, coach, uh, but can I train with the team? And we were playing in 11 against 10. I missed one player. I said, no problem, make a warming up, because I didn't want to make a fight, a lot of media. And so I said, but please come after the game uh, to the hotel. And he said, okay, no problem. He trained fantastic level, trained fantastic. In the evening in the hotel, no other bayor. Thursday, no other bayor in the hotel, not on training. Friday, we play again, 11 against 11. Who is on training? One minute after we started, at bayor. And he comes after training to me and he said, Coach, I'm ready for Monday for the friendly against Ghana. I said, Che, you will be not in the squad. Uh, I asked you to be in the camp. Yeah, but coach, I'm at bar. I said, no, she, I want you to come to the hotel to be part of the team. If you're part of the team, you can uh, uh, join the team. Otherwise, not. Um, so he was not in the squad finally. He came by private plane to there. He, he watched the game. Uh, and the day after, he was the first one in camp. Uh, in for our preparation for the Liberia qualification game, he was the first one at lunch, dinner, breakfast. He was the first one in tactical meeting. He trained fantastic. He played uh, against Liberia and scored the winning goal. So um, yeah, maybe when I when I look now, I would have done things maybe different. Uh, but I was also new in the job. Um, I had some background information from people. And naturally, as a new coach, you want to make very clear these are the rules. And I can't make differences uh, between people. But I have still contact with him. Uh, When he moved to Paraguay, I messaged him to congratulate him. Uh, We have a short chat. And for me, like I said, uh, he is probably the best player I ever coached. And I have huge respect. He had a fantastic career. I think he's an example as a football player for so many African players. Uh, the career he made uh, is fantastic, uh, but naturally, it's not always easy if you play that level um, to 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 be part of a team because the whole society, the whole population uh, treats you as a king. Uh, but when you are a football player, you are one of the 23 kings in the squad and not the only king, and, uh, and that you have to know naturally.
0: So then we'll move on to your most recent national team and. In- Gambia and what was that like being able to go there July in 2018? Yeah, uh, I, I played with
2: Namibia. <coughs> I played in, um, in, with Namibia in 2010 against Gambia. We lost 3 1 there and I was impressed by the atmosphere. The stadium was full, fantastic football atmosphere. And I knew naturally that they had quality because even in the 90s, beginning 2000s, there were several Gambian players playing in in Belgium. Um, So it was always a little bit since 2010. And even earlier, it was always in my mind from once I want to coach Gambia. And I was in touch with some people. And when the opportunity came in in July 2018, I had no doubt to take it. I, I, I checked all the Gambian players, possible Gambian players on the internet. And I was convinced that There was so much potential. Gambia, uh, before my arrival, uh, had in five years' time not won a competitive match. And in history of Gambian football, never won a competitive away match. Uh, So I was a little bit surprised when I saw these stats, looking to the the availability of of players. And I came in after that they lost against Benin, the first qualifier. And my first game was in, in September 2018 against Algeria with Jamel Belmadi as coach, uh, my former player of Aliti Hat, former Manchester City player, and Algeria, naturally, with Damaris, with Brahimi, Fahouli, Slimani, uh, all these uh, guys well-known, all in Europe. So we were the underdog. Um, and, yeah, it, it, first of all, I was very happy with the opportunity, but I was also convinced that we had the potential. And it started uh, very well. Um, it was a crazy start, to be honest, because uh, we had the stadium, or we have a stadium, in Gambia with a capacity of 25,000 people. Uh, My wife and daughter, my daughter was uh, that time exact two years old. They had VIP tickets for coming to the game Uh, and the people told them the game is at 4.30, you have to come two two hours before the game, otherwise you can't enter the stadium. So my wife with my two-year-old daughter arrives at 2.30 in the stadium for the game at 4.30 and it was already crowded, she was sitting in the VIP. Uh, we are coming one and a half hour before the stadium is already full. Uh, so we walk on the pitch. It looks crazy. Um, the game was postponed with one and a half hour till six o'clock. So it means that my wife and daughter had to sit three and a half hours in the stands, waiting till the game could start. There were instead of twenty-five thousand people, there were forty-five thousand people in the stadium. The people were sitting in the in the lights on the stands everywhere. People were jumping from the stands. They had to call the army and the police. People were sitting on the, on the tarmac around the pitch. Uh, everywhere were people sitting. Uh, the likes like Maris didn't like to play. They were trying to, to escape it because, yeah, it, it was a little bit uh, strange feeling with the fans so close to you. Um, and, yeah, we had a great result. We played 1-1 against Algeria. People were very enthusiastic, the players were very nice and it was a start of a uh, very good uh, yeah, future with Gambia. And uh, I had a contract, a nine-month contract with them. Uh, we, we, we drew in Togo, we, we, uh, we beat uh, Benin, first victory in five years' time. We drew again in Algeria, qualification match, and we had still a, a court case in CAS in running to go to the AFCON. Gambia never qualified for a tournament, we failed in that uh, court case. But now, uh, two years later, we are top of the lock in a very tough group because when I took Gambia, we were 172 on the world ranking. Now we are 159. It's very difficult to move up. In the last summer, we played two friendlies. We beat Morocco, the World Cup team, with, uh, with the likes of Ziyech, now Chelsea. We beat them 0-1 in Morocco. Uh, we beat Guinea, uh, Conakry, a strong country. Uh, and uh, yeah, we are now leading our qualification group. We are 159 on the world. We are the smallest team. We are leading ahead of Gabon, uh, who are 83 on the world. Ahead of DR Congo, are 54 in the world, and of Angola, 120 in the world. And we have our first away victory in competitive football in history of Gambia. We won 1-3 in uh, Angola. So a lot of uh, a lot of history is already made. Also, the last two years, about 17 players made their debut in the in, their, in the club. We have the likes of Musa Barrow. Uh, from Bologna, Ibrima Colli from Atalanta, Bergamo, uh, a lot of young players. Uh, we have also some very good experienced players. I think about Pamudu Dujan from uh, Zurich and, uh, and uh, Omar Colli from, uh, from Sampdoria. So we have a very good team, very diverse, a lot of quality. And I believe that we, we have great potential. But the big dream is naturally not only to win uh, home in a way. After a long time, but also to qualify for the first time, and now through COVID 19, we are really waiting when we can start again to to, to play these qualification matches.
1: Yeah, just even looking at your squad there, like I can't, I don't know how many nations all your teams' players in it must be exhausting to keep up with them all. It seems like it was a largely European based squad though, with a lot of young players.
2: Yeah, the, the, the the problem, it's not a problem, but when I select a local-based player, after the national team match, you get an offer from a team in, in, in Europe, uh, or or from a bigger country in, in Africa. We have a few players in, in Tunisia by big clubs, and in Morocco, even Senegal, what's a little bit bigger league, and then the rest are, are European-based players, young players, even young guys who are coming, 17-year-old Musa Duwara, who played for Bologna, uh, 70 year old uh, Ibrima Darbu, he didn't play yet, who played for AS Roma, so we have really a fantastic future. We have uh, players in, in different European leagues and I have to say that uh, the last years I traveled a lot. Uh, the first year I lived full-time in, in Gambia, watched all the local leagues there, went even to local league football, not professional football but uh, beach football and these kind of things to find talent. Uh, but now the last year I, I, I was in Sweden, I was in Norway, I was in Denmark, I was in, in Germany, in Holland, in, in, uh, in uh, Spain, in Italy, in Switzerland, to watch my players, to see them play. And uh, to give you an example, uh, today, it, it's, it's Saturday, it's 8. Uh, for, the, for the Islam, uh, Gambian players are Muslim. And I had to send around 60 messages all over the world to wish 8 Mubarak. So I'm in touch with my players very close. I can't see them that much, but thanks to the modern um, technology of, of communication, I'm almost weekly in touch with all my players. And uh, we have a fantastic staff, uh, a fantastic group of players, very competitive. It's not easy to make a selection because um, you will always disappoint players. Who also deserve to be in that squad but as a coach you make choices and you need to think about uh, the tactics and the possibilities what happens during a game but Gambia has a bright future I believe that this Gambian squad can the next six seven years eight years uh, qualify frequently for the African Championship and I believe that even this team uh, we are out of the running for the World Cup but could compete with the best in Africa to go to a World
1: Cup uh, sorry, again, we, we said Gambia has a, a great future ahead, and I don't know that you're under contract, so I don't... I don't but what what is next for ComSafeVet in the future? Would you like to go back to club management?
2: Uh, like I said earlier, when I'm national team coach, I, I, I think a lot about it. Uh, sure, in these periods, uh, when when you don't have much games as a national team coach, you have only on FIFA dates games and that's in in, in March, June, September, October, November. So there's a period that you have a lot of games and you have no time to think about other things. There's a period that that you are only watching football and that you want to be more on the pitch. So I, I see myself, sure, in the future. Uh, to coach again club teams, I still would love to work in Europe once more uh, in a good level on a club team. But I enjoy also working with national team, and at the moment it's it's great uh, uh, fun. It's an honor and a big pleasure to work in Gambia. At uh, the federation is is very supportive. Uh, they, they they developed a lot. Uh, we, we stay in good hotels, we have good transport. Uh, our facilities are good. Uh, our staff, what we created the last year, is a very good sort of medical and technical staff. So it's a pleasure to work within the Federation, to work with my staff and with the fantastic group of players. So at this moment of time, I really enjoy this stay and have still some aims and ambitions with Gambia. But I'm sure in the future I would love to uh, return once more to club football also to to make my trademark there.
0: Well, Tom, it's been an absolute treat having you on our Off the Bar podcast. We also want to mention to our viewers, you can also check out our Felt Crew page on Facebook and Twitter. Again, Tom, we want to thank you for joining us and we'd love to have you on again in the time soon.
2: You're always welcome, Jeremy.